0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me on the show is Feli Karike. She's the executive director of the News Product Alliance, an international organization that supports news product professionals and product thinkers. Feli has been featured as one to watch in the news industry for her leadership by the Future Today Institute's annual Tech Trends report. She's also a professor and guest lecturer in several universities and is known for co-creating the first news product class in Latin America. In this episode, we discuss AI product strategy in newsrooms, Feli explains how AI differs from other newsroom technologies and discusses the role of AI in the product development process and offers insights on evaluating AI tools and vendors. Hi Feli, welcome to Newsroom Robots. Hi,
1: Nikita. I am very excited to be here. I love this podcast, so I'm excited to talk about AI with you.
2: I'm excited to talk all about AI as well, and especially about AI product strategy, which you're the expert. I actually learned about Product strategy from you earlier this year when I was taking this course product immersion at CUNY that was NPA was a part of. So it's very exciting to now talk all about AI product strategy with you because as we're like navigating this landscape of like AI and we're talking all about tools, the most important thing that I've learned is going back and understanding how do we successfully integrate AI and talk about it when we are building our strategy? What does a successful AI product strategy look like? And this Tools has been like reshaping how we are thinking about news delivery, news production. But with all of that, we also need to have like a well thought out strategy that's crucial for us when we are venturing into AI and And we're adopting a new technology that is honestly evolving so quickly, especially generative AI when we're talking about that. And how do we integrate it within our product strategy, think about it so that it's enhancing journalistic integrity, it's improving efficiency. So that's all I want to get into with you today, all about how do we build an effective AI product strategy? How do we understand the needs of our newsroom? How do we set realistic goals and ensure all of these ethical considerations are at the forefront when we building anything, especially with generative AI. So I want to actually start off because you have so much experience in product. How is AI really different from all the other newsroom technologies when we're thinking about building a product strategy? So
1: I will try to put everything in the most simple terms that I can. I might be oversimplifying, but let me take a step into your question. So to put it in a very simple terms, AI is a system that can make decisions and perform tasks that kind of look like human intelligence. So these decisions can be language comprehension, language generation, image recognitions, and others. So if we want AI to perform specific tasks, we require a set of instructors, instructions, or algorithms that can guide them on what to do. And to feed these algorithms, one very key part or crucial ingredient is data. So the first thing I would mention that makes AI different from other newsroom technologies is the unintended bias that can come from the data. And it's very much what you were talking about, right? Because this is very relevant to journalism more than maybe other industries, because we are in the business of trust. We are in the business of making people trust us and trust our editorial judgment and decision-making within the news organizations. So that's why what I want, to, I want to mention is that AI, it's different from other newsroom technologies because it can carry an intended bias that comes from the data. And AI-based technologies are actually the first ones that are making decisions on our behalf. You know, like the CMS did not make decisions (laughs) on our behalf, but AI is kind of doing that. So we need to be able to observe technical aspects way more thoroughly to avoid a technology making a decision we would not find either ethical or to be biased in favor or against a certain group of people or whatever the AI is doing that we kind of know, but are not completely sure because we cannot assess that data fully. So that would be one of the first things I would like to mention in what is different. But then, and just because I was talking about CMSs and you know how news product managers and people in media love to talk CMSs, I'm going to bring an example with a CMS. So when we talk about a CMS, we talk about a very specific piece of software used to manage our content. We have a very clear delimitation of what a CMS ought to do. And that's not the same with AI, right? Like AR tools are iterative by nature and are often and often make decisions based on their own learning process. So depending on the type of model that we are using, we might not have a clear insight on how it is learning and how it is adjusting its output. If we are not consistently monitoring that. So this requires an extra layer of oversight that we did not need with other software. And this gets more complex as we start incorporating AI into multiple pieces of the already overcomplicated media tech stack.
2: Exactly. And I really like that point that you're making about it's, different because for the first time, it's making decisions for us. That completely changes how you're thinking about the technology because suddenly the role of oversight becomes so crucial. Being able to monitor all of the decisions becomes so crucial. All of that now fits into building that product strategy that we're talking about because that changes how we should be thinking about this technology.
1: Yes. And to add to that and building to that prior point, AR tools are intended to learn and iterate to improve their output. So this process is not always transparent, even for the people building the tools. And without that proper supervision, it might unintentionally be optimizing something different than what it was originally intending. So monitoring performance, and that means like to what degree of accuracy is this model providing output is fundamental if we want to start incorporating these tools into our decision making processes, because that's what we are incorporating them into.
2: Exactly. And then as you were seeing, we are in the business of building trust with our audience and they need to trust us. We need to be accurate. That's what they expect from us. And so when we are thinking about AI, they always have this accuracy. A concern is there, especially with generative AI and large language models, that's the biggest concern. So now how should we think about developing the product strategy then? What should be the key questions we should be looking at when and asking ourselves when you're trying to incorporate and work with generative AI technology and products?
1: So I absolutely love this it. question. <laughs> And it is actually a counterpart to my previous answer, because this is actually something that AI does have in common and product strategy does, like, have in common with the rest of the newsroom tech tech, 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 tech. And the thing is, it needs to be aligned with the organizational strategy. And as you were saying, one business that media organizations are in is the business of trust. But there are other ways in which an organization positions itself within a market or the information ecosystem. So what I would say is that to embrace AI effectively, we must embed it within our solid business strategy that creates value for our audiences. And what that value is comes from what we learn from what the audiences need. So that is the first step. So the first thing to ask ourselves is, What value do we bring to our audiences? What need or problem are we solving for them? How are we better than other organizations trying to solve this problem? And what is our USP or unique selling proposition or how does solving this problem align with our business goals and priorities and organizational goals? And one organizational goal might be Building or rebuilding or upholding trust with our communities and our audiences. And so this is the stage in which we think what is the value that we bring to audiences? Why should they consume us? And once we understand that, once that it's clear, it's when we can actually start thinking about the how, which is when technology comes in. So that's what it's the same for AI than the rest of our technology, that it always comes after the why, because it's when we're talking about the how. So what do we need? Like, And at that stage, when we're thinking about this, the how, the questions that we need to make ourselves is, what do we need software to do for us so we can better care for our audience's needs and advance our business goals? Because at this stage, I just want to make clear that when I'm talking about strategy, I am talking to having a strategy that's crafted around audience needs, but it also needs to have its business model engraved because there's no way we're building sustainability if we are not thinking how the exchange of value that we have with our audiences is creating revenue for our organizations. And the same is when crafting strategy or product strategy for AI in our news organizations. So at this stage, knowing what AI can do for us understanding the technology or having someone in the team who does or is consistently experimenting with it is key because that is the only way we can figure out ways to take better advantage of the technology to serve our goals and craft a better position for our organization in the information ecosystem.
2: Exactly. And I think the part that you're talking about of like making sure that somebody's there experimenting with it because the technology is changing so quickly. Like Just a couple of weeks ago, OpenAI announced a bunch of new features, a lot more new APIs, a lot more new capabilities. And how should we be kind of keeping up and The strategy, I feel like if you had a strategy and you started working on a product over the summer, suddenly it became, I mean, the technology changed. Like it had more capabilities suddenly. And what you were building was building it on old technology when it's completely new. Now there are reports of GPT-5 is going to come around soon. And then... There's a uh, multimodal large language models are going to increase and then there's more options coming out there. So that entire landscape of generative AI, I feel like is advancing so quickly. So how do you think about product strategy when sort of like the goalpost is keeping on moving?
1: That's something that I bet keeps a lot of executives up at night. <laughs> <laughs> Because yes, like tech development is way faster than what organizations can incorporate, especially big institutions that are slow to move, right? So it can be hard to keep up and understand how to move forward. And at this point, there are two things I would like to say on this topic. And the first one is more philosophical. And the second one is more around the tactics, the actual tactics we can can take for this. So what you're describing is an uncertain scenario. You are describing an industry that is grappling with making decisions without certainty about what's going to happen. Like, I just want us to remember when the ChatGPT 3 came out last year, December 2022, but it's not been a year since that happened. And look at everything that went on ever since. So yes, it is uncertain, it is moving fast. So how do we prepare for that? And I am going to use a a chess analogy on how to approach the uncertainty with less fear by adopting a positioning mindset. So when playing chess, there is no way you can anticipate your opponent's movement accurately enough to strategize your game every step of the way to win. It is very unlikely that you know how you win the game since the start, right? It's the same with this scenario. There's no way you'll know. So how do you keep moving forward? So in chess, you can instead think of each move as a way to get yourself into a more advantageous position and grow your strength, increasing your chances of winning, right? So each move you make needs to increase your strength, needs to get you into a better position to face the uncertainty. It's more of a building mindset. And when dealing with rapid change and uncertainty, it is the same. What can you do today? What move can you make to be better positioned tomorrow? And this question brought into media organizations might have a different answer if you are a big legacy operation with thousands of people than if you are a small shop, but it is still valid if you are a big media operation. What can you do today that will make you more prepared for a future in which more AI tools are developed and adopted and like popularized amongst audiences? You can hire an AI strategist so that someone is actually thinking of that. And that makes you better prepared for what's going to happen. You can... Understand that you need to build your data science team or restructure it and make decisions now that put you in a better position for tomorrow. But if you're a small shop and you cannot think of hiring a team of data scientists, you might want to think of training that person that's very tech savvy within your organization, that it's super proactive and it's always wanting to try new things and start by doing something like that. That is not necessarily such a big investment in comparison with what a legacy organization could do, but it still makes you better positioned than what you were before and better prepared to what's coming. And here, I would love to hear your thoughts as someone who has technical expertise.
2: You're putting it out to me. I really like, I mean, Chess Master Feli giving us uh, our chess analogy. Not a chess master at all. The analogy is just the analysis. (laughs) But I I really like that analogy that you have about like how we should be thinking about AI. And this very unpredictable scenario that we are right now. And I actually completely agree with you when you were just talking about it, I was like, we should just be focusing right now on building the capabilities and resources within the newsroom. And most importantly, getting data pipelines in order because <laughs> you can't do anything with AI if you don't have good data. And if you're not even collecting data, it's not going to help you. You're not going to get insights. You're not going to be able to get AI to help you make business decisions. So while this entire time is just like, it's evolving so quickly and we're still figuring out and you're not sure where to put your bets on, it's best to just look internally, I'd say, into the organization and figure out like how should we be, what data sets are we not looking at? What data pipelines do we not have? Do we have a central data pipeline that's across the news organization that people can have? But that's right. It's, okay, there's a storm coming. How do I prep my house? Are
1: the pipelines up to date? Is anything about to break that could create a catastrophe? Or... Are we secure? Do we have provisions and we can build that like safety cushion? It's like savings, but with capacity and resilience for an organization. So speaking of building capacities, I told you that my reply to your questions was going to come in two parts. And the first one was like a philosophical mindset that we should approach. And the second one was the most tactical thing that we could approach. And it's related to one capability that we really need to build for an a scenario of uncertainty, and that is product capability. Yes, shocking, shocking <laughs> <laughs> that I'm bringing product capacities and product capabilities for this. So, yeah, one of the main things that the product disciplines works with is how to make decisions. And reduce the risk of making them by using data to guide us, data that is based on audience needs and connected with that, but also methodologies like systematic ways of experimenting without consuming large amount of resources without having a level of assurance that that might work, of course. Nor product, nor any discipline, not even predictive statistics or economy can predict things will be successful or not with 100% accuracy. And that's a fact. And that's exactly what we need to deal with is uncertainty. And what product does is grounds decisions in audience feedback. And by incorporating that feedback, iterates on the product incrementally to make it more tailored to satisfy those audience needs. That's how the product lifecycle is built. It's built upon multiple stages that start from idea, go through discovery, which are opportunities in which we connect with the audience before we start to build. So in that sense, we can always focus on identifying what are the things that we actually do build based on what we understand our audience needs and is telling us it's interested in us building. And that's why I think product capacity is so important at this stage, because it gives us frameworks for experimenting without putting a bulk of resources and something that we do not know if it's going to work because we do not know if it's bringing value to our audiences.
2: And so you're seeing AI, we need to keep experimenting with AI in this like iterative process, but also keeping audience along in the journey and getting their feedback constantly to understand what the problems are that we could be solving with them and with it. is ai changing anything in the product development process also like when product managers are learning to work with ai how should they be thinking about it so to finish what you like what
1: you were saying yes it is what in terms of experimenting with ai is we can bring in product processes into experimenting with ai i encourage people to start with experimentation getting testing getting feedback getting things better but strategizing what we are doing with the tools, what we are doing with AI around what our audience is saying and having the clarity of mind of what is the value that we are bringing.
2: But also when you're talking about building tools, there's also a lot of tools that are out there, a lot of AI vendors and a lot of startups that are currently like pitching to newsrooms and How should newsrooms kind of evaluate all of these different AI tools that are being pitched to them based on like different factors that you're talking about, right? In terms of like what the value is, if there is a need for it in the newsroom and if this fits though, like what are the key questions that they should be asking AI vendors? That is a great
1: question. So I'm going to start with one
2: that is very specific to
1: AI and then I'm going to move into the ones that are more common in terms of evaluating vendors in general or making these tech decisions. So one thing that actually you and I talked about before is one of the main things that we need to understand when dealing with AI vendors is especially generative AI vendors is what model are they using? Because we are trying to incorporate a tool? Is this tool based on the same model than the other tool? And the advantage is just a different interface that our newsroom will will interact with? Or are we talking about a different, for instance, a different LLM that is trained on a very specific set of content that we can trust more? Or that we can trust has not come from scraping sites without their authorization? Or are we using the same model that everyone else is using? So the output that we will get does not add any value to what we are trying to do. So one of the things that I would say greatly differs is in selecting AI tools is understanding, really understanding the underlying technology because it affects the quality of the thing that you will be getting as a client of that tool. And there are plenty of tools out there that are just interfaces for OpenAI's GPT-3 or GPT-4. So understanding that and also understanding how they are structuring the pricing related on how it relates to their own purchase and access to gpt will also help you understand like, oh, the pricing of this is going to move related to XYZ because they cannot warranty that they can keep the cost because they cannot warranty OpenAI will keep the cost.
2: That's a very good point that you're making there, actually, because it's dependent if they are just using OpenAI's model, it depends on what OpenAI's pricing goes up or down. And also, if they're just using OpenAI's model, they are definitely taking a bit of a percentage on top of what it is. And you could probably just save costs if if you just have to build an interface to interact with the GPT model instead of going and buying their product.
1: Exactly. But for that, you need to have the capacity to build that. You have someone, you need to have been prepared to have someone that maybe using the builder or the agent can actually replicate what that tool is offering to do for you and your organization. But other than this very specific things, when choosing tech solutions, there are other factors to consider, like customization, time to production, build versus buy, cost versus quality, open source versus proprietary. And by evaluating all of these aspects, the media organizations can actually make decisions that align with their own needs and resources and long-term goals. So as we were saying, customization level requirements. If you're going for an LLM model that is used for so many different things, is that customized for your needs? Do you need it to be? Because maybe you don't. And then you can make the decision contemplating that this is not the value I am adding to my audience with this. So I don't need it to be customized. I can go for the easiest, most convenient option, and that's okay. But you need to go back to understanding, is this part of the value chain? Is this part of the value I'm providing to my audience? Is this part of what differentiates me as an organization or not? And the same with the other factors I mentioned, like timeframe requirements. So maybe you see a window of opportunity to implement an AI tool and you say, I need to do it now. And you don't have the developers and you don't have the data scientists that can actually build that interface for you pinging on the OpenAI's API. So you say, I'm just going to buy off the shelf because with this, I can get it out and running very fast because that's what you are prioritizing because that's your organizational priority. And again, it all goes back to what's your strategy, what's the value you're bringing, how that interacts with all of the other smaller decisions that you are making every day about the technology adoption. And this is also key as we move forward in a scenario of uncertainty, having guiding principles like this is what we are doing, this is what we are offering the market, this is what makes us different, and having a lot of people having to make a lot of fast decisions, every day, you will reduce a lot of error and you will still be working towards value creation if everyone on the team has clarity on those points.
2: That's a very good takeaway, really, of like, it's important to have... Clarity, first of all, in terms of like what the overall mission is and in order to be able to then make the tech products and making sure everybody on the team is clear of what the objectives are over there at that time. And I'm also thinking, is AI changing anything in terms of what the product development process kind of looks like? Like how should product managers learn to work with AI? Okay, there
1: are many ways to approach this question And I'm going to start with the first one. And is so, the role of a product manager or a product owner is to ensure that the product is satisfying audience needs and it gets consistently improved based on its feedback. So, you need to be monitoring how it's being used, following KPIs, understanding how it's being monetized, and consistently. Working on improving that. And there's a thing about AI products, which is some of them are capable of improving themselves. So we were talking earlier about this overseeing responsibility. So it might mean for an AI based product that the product manager's role is to oversee performance, to oversee accuracy to oversee how this is still optimizing towards the audience needs that you have identified and not squeaking based on use. And that changes one of the fundamental natures of the product management role, which is interpreting those, those needs, those interactions, getting insights and defining what are the new features to be created. That's when working with a model. But that's not applicable if it is just the interface based on on an AI model in which you would still need to have that responsibility of improving the experience around the model. So in, in that sense, it is different, but also it makes the role of the product manager or the news product manager still more valuable in the sense of, being the one advocating for what the audience wants, what the audience needs, what the audience is expecting of what we're doing, what we're building, what we are offering and making sure that we are safeguarding the value that we're bringing.
2: I like that the role that you described that becoming kind of like the safeguard of the the product's value to the audience. And that's kind of how AI, whether AI is doing its job as well in bringing that value to the audience. And I think also at the same time, when you're talking about product management, how can AI really help in that process In the generative AI, help in that process in news organizations. I've been seeing actually quite a few examples. One I just saw recently was this custom GPT. I just saw this. I haven't actually spoken to you about it, but it was just like this custom GPT that you give it your product and your idea of the product, and it would go back and forth with you and have like a bunch of like questions, like user research questions that you can do all the way to actually creating UI UX diagrams with DALI 3. In chat, GBT. That's like generative AI also helping product management. So how do you see AI helping us in the news organizations in that aspect? This is
1: was a point I wanted to make before. Then I went into the rat hole of, <laughs> of the last question, but I'm back. And yes, this is exactly what I want us to think. Like, how do we leverage AI to help us create value for those communities and audiences? And you're talking about having that AI help you with defining the audience research, but you know what requires a lot of data collection and data analysis and pattern recognition like user research, audience research. We can absolutely leverage any AI that reads natural language or speaks or creates natural language to get us insights from hours and hours and hours of in-depth interviews to recognize patterns in the data that we might not have seen yet and to let us know what the insights are. Not just like telling us what the pattern is, but what the insight might be because that's the next step this technology takes. So there are many ways in which we could use And we could leverage this technology in our process. There are actually startups about, there are actually startups around like creating tools that leverage AI for product management. Most of them are very much focused on this first stage of the product development lifecycle. But there are, there are way like many other examples, like crafting product requirement docs based on a different type of writing. (laughs) (laughs) the notes that you have to give to the developer, crawling into documentation and all of the other things that nobody wants to do, not even the developers. So there's plenty ways that AI can help within the product management processes.
2: I found it very interesting because sometimes I'm just also with like, when you're doing user research and you're trying to figure out what are the different target personas and stuff, it has a lot of insights on that when you give it your particular product and you have to prompt it accordingly. And it, it's able to give you all of these insights. And it's just amazing in that way. <laughs> I would like to bring an example that I think is like the counter example. though. So there are
1: companies that are using AI to, like generative AI to imitate your user persona and reply questions to you. So I, I would argue that that puts you a step away, again, from the audience. And it's also not real people. It's, <laughs> it's an AI interpretation of what a real person would want. This is something that's being offered because conducting research is very time-consuming and intense. So there are AI companies that would create user personas, basically, Yes, like you can talk to them and interact with them.
2: That I think that's a bad idea. That sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, might as well just go out and talk to people at that point in time. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I
1: would argue. But that's, that's one of the things that, that I want to bring. It's like even within the product, the product management cycle, there are some things that we can absolutely leverage AI to help us do. But there are some things that we shouldn't leverage AI to help us do. Like many media organizations have decided they are not using AI for any audience facing content creation. And they have made that decision, understanding that the risk is too high and the reward, it's not enough. And it's also not creating enough value for the audiences. So they are assessing that that's not a good use case. The same could happen with news product managers. There are some use cases that are use cases that might be fantastic and it might be So helpful to have an AI that's capable of reading documentation and extracting some information for us to build a more readable document for non technical folks in the newsroom. That might be great. But there are other use cases that might not be that great. And we also need to make sure that we are assessing the risk correctly or using the technology for something that is not adding value to what we should be doing.
2: It acts sometimes as a tech translator. That's what I've used it as. Of like, if you're a non-technical person and you have to talk to like a web developer and a technical person and making sure that that idea is conveyed to them in a way that they would best understand it. And if they're saying something, converting that back into human lingo <laughs> and like that, what you can understand. Can you translate this Python? <laughs> yeah,
1: to human. Yeah, I can. I can absolutely do that. Wait a second, I'm opening chat.
2: (laughs) Okay, so we're talking about AI and product management, but like how are you using AI in kind of like your own work? This is not necessarily personal per se. It's a bit work
1: related, but many people might not know this, but the News Product Alliance, the organization I work for, had a mentor network program in which we connected 150 mentees with one... Like with fifty mentors that would help them with news product challenges, so we needed to m- match make those mentees with the mentors based on a number of criteria and like time zone. We wanted to for time zones to cons- like to coincide, so it would be more comfortable for everyone. This was an international program, right? This was an international program, yes. Like. Global program. And that's why we also wanted languages. We didn't want this program to be constrained to people who could speak English. So we had mentors that spoke different languages and asked mentees which language they would feel more comfortable speaking with the mentors. So we had time. So languages, what do you want to do? What's the role that you want to get? And what's the role of the mentor? So that we could pair you with someone that had the experience that you wanted to get. So we were going around this matchmaking process and started thinking, oh, I wish there was some sort of Tinder thing that we could use that could make you with the perfect mentor. And we started to think a bit more about that. And I was like, hmm, maybe there is. So we worked with a data scientist to adjust and recalibrate an OkCupid model that we, I am going to use a very journalistic word, but it's applicable, that we edited so (laughs) that it optimized for better mentor-mentee matchmaking. So you just repurposed the model. Yeah, we repurposed the model for matchmaking mentors and mentees. And of course, we did check it humanly. We, we ran the model, we got the matches, we checked it humanly to ensure that this matches made sense, not just to the model, but to us people doing the matchmaking. But we received such good feedback about the matching. Like so many mentees were like, wow, the person you paired me with was amazing, was really helping me with. And it was because the model had a very good, had a very good performance, performance rate. So accuracy rate was high. (laughs) Yeah, the accuracy was high. But also one thing I want to say about this is it wasn't anything fancy, right? Like we just hired a data scientist. He used Colab notebook to write, like to adjust the model, to write the code. And that was what he gave us, like a call of noto- notebook for the ones who don't know. It's an in the cloud notebook for Python, like a Google doc for code. Like, yeah, like a Google doc for code. I, I like how you simplified it in which we just upload. We upload a spreadsheet with the names of the mentees, one spreadsheet for the mentors, we still have the chance within the code to adjust some criteria if we want to reuse this model again, which we hope we will, and run the code, which if you have never seen a call-up notebook, it's just you literally just press play and the code to run. And then when it's done, it just gives you another spreadsheet with the matches as an output. So that's a way in which we decided to leverage some
2: AI. It was more machine learning than AI, but or our work as a nonprofit. Like I remember the OkCupid model from like one of the first data science classes I feel like it did. I don't know why we use a OkCupid data set and build the whole matchmaking (laughs) model there. So (laughs) bringing me back to that. I think it's because it like that's
1: open source code and that's why so many people actually use it. But like repurposing
2: and using it for something else that you need, it's very valid thing to do. I actually would have never have thought mentor-mentee matchmaking, so that's a very interesting use case of just taking that open source model out there and just like repurposing it for. I mean, a lot of people are running mentor-mentee matchmakings right now, so this is very interesting how you all did that for such a large number of people, 150 mentees. Can you imagine having to do that by hand? So it's like, <laughs> no, I'm very glad that we decided to go on the tech route for this,
1: but it's also very much on brand with our organization, like you know. We are the news product alliance, right? Like we very tech savvy people that works with data. So it made sense that we would come up with this. But that's, that goes back to what we have been talking. Like organizations need people that are able to think about this and integrate the journalism aspect, the tech aspect, and the business aspect in their work every day. And those people are news product thinkers. Those people are the product thinkers and the news product managers out there. And if you don't have one, you can always train one, like train someone on your team to become one. And we are happy to do that for everyone. So (laughs) let us know.
2: (laughs) And I think just being a part of the News Product Alliance Slack channel is just That workspace itself has so much of resources and training. And I have to say, it's one of my favorite workspaces to be a part of because, A, the community is international. You also have like these two-week donut calls every, every two weeks that people are very active in and... I get to speak to people from all over the world every two weeks. I'm on a call with them. Fun fact, actually, Newsroom Robots, a lot of the user research and everything that I did, and if I have ever mentioned, like, examples of, like, I was speaking to this journalist and something like this happened in, like, past episodes, it's all been people I've actually met on these donor calls. They knew about Newsroom Robots launching way before I actually actually launched it because I was, like, getting feedback and insights and talking to them. So News Product Alliance really, like, helped me quite a lot, and I think it's just, it's. it's. It's one of my favorite places to be because everyone's so supportive and it's a very, very active workspace.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is a very active workspace. And now that, so the first thing I would say is thank you so much for your kind words. That's what we live for. That's what we strive for, to make sure that we can create connections that enhance creativity, collaboration, and help the news industry be more audience focused and create products that are so useful and valuable like Newsroom Robots is so i really appreciate you saying that but to wrap up the the one thing i i would say is i am going to leave this podcast thinking how we can leverage ai to make our slack even more valuable for our community
2: nice okay i'm very excited for that and to see that evolution happened with like AI in the Slack workspace, that's going to be very exciting. Feli, this has just been so much fun talking to you about, we've spoken about AI quite a bit, but like, this is like really getting into the nuts and bolts of what a product strategy should look like with AI and a lot of learnings that I'm taking away, especially I'm going to remember that chess analogy from now on, <laughs> for sure. And so thank you so much, Feli, for just like all the insights and advice you've given. Thank you so much for having me, Nikita. This has been very fun
1: and I hope people will enjoy it and find it as useful and fun as we did.
2: That was Belly Karike, the executive director of the News Product Alliance. Stay updated with our newsletter by signing up at newsroomrobots.com. This episode is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant, I'm Nikita Roy and this is Newsroom Robots.